1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Drew Manning, the founder of fit to fat to fit and I've been following Drew for a number of years. I read his book a bunch of years ago, and I thought it was really cool that, you know, he would go from being a uh, super fit personal trainer guy that's ripped to uh, someone that's, you know, like a lot of people where he uh, stopped eating right, stopped exercising, and gained a ton of weight and frankly probably put his health in serious danger. Just to get a feel for what you know, a lot of people go through. So I, I thought that was very cool that he did that, and you know, very brave. And it's really cool to talk to him. So, Drew, how you doing? Rich, thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to this. Yeah, and before we start, um, I just want to let the audience know I've been interviewing a lot of the people at the uh, that are going to be speaking at the Metabolic Health Summit that's happening at the very end of January in Los Angeles. And Drew's going to be there uh, with tons of other great speakers. So I encourage anyone listening to uh, to check it out, the Metabolic Health Summit. So, Drew, um, to start off with, can you give people just a quick tidbit? What are you going to be talking about at the summit? And I want to go into other aspects of what you do. Yeah. So,
2: um, you know, for the most part, the Metabolic Health Summit, which I'm really excited about, uh, which, by the way, is in California, for anyone listening that is interested in it, just go to MetabolicHealthSummit.com to check it out. Um, it's going to be a great event. I'm super excited about it. Uh, I like that they brought someone like me on because normally this is a seminar for doctors, scientists, people that are doing continuing education uh, in this field of of health, nutrition, wellness. And, um, you know, I'm not a doctor. <clears throat> I'm not a scientist. So the fact that they invited me, I feel really humbled and honored to be there. Um, but I think it's good because it's bringing people with different demographics that are in the same industry learn from experts, but then I'll be speaking specifically on more so the mental and emotional side of transformation with a ketogenic approach, right? So I'm a big fan of keto. I've been doing it for a few years now. I've been on the Dr. Oz show, uh, you know, transformed thousands of people's lives through the keto diet. But, you know, my approach is different than someone like, say, Dr. Dominic Diagostino, right? <laughs> uh, right? Who's a scientist who does clinical studies and <clears throat> uh, and things like that. But I want to bring in the mental and emotional aspect of transformation of health and fitness that is overlooked a lot of times in the health and fitness industry. And it all stems back from my fit to fat to fit journey, where I learned you know, just how wrong I was with my approach to t- trying to transform people. Right? I could give someone the best meal plans. I could give them the best workouts. I could give them um, you know, the best meal prep tips and hacks to uh, optimize their, their brain and their body from a physical perspective. But none of that matters unless that person knows how to overcome their own mental and emotional challenges. And so that's what I hope to bring to the game. That's what I hope to bring to the fitness industry is to help people more so on the mental and emotional side, which is where I think most people struggle, right? Staying consistent, living yeah, a healthy definitely. lifestyle.
1: Well, great. Uh, can you talk about, you know, in case people don't know, tell tell us about the Fit to Fat to Fit journey. What was like a skeleton, a sketch of it? Yeah, so this is something I did back in 2011,
2: 2012, where I had this idea to um, get fat on purpose. And I know that sounds ridiculous and crazy. Why would someone do that, right? I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters, and we all played sports. I played football and wrestling from a very young age. And so for me, I never once struggled with my weight. And then in 2009, I became a personal trainer. And then here I was, someone who had never struggled with their weight, trying to help people who had struggled with their weight their whole life. And I thought it was easy. It's super simple. Here's the meal plans. You follow the meal plans. You eat the healthy food. You go to the gym. You do the workouts. And then, boom, you see results if you stay consistent with it. But then I would get frustrated all the time because they would tell me, you know, Drew, I'm trying to stay consistent, but I messed up. Like, you know, I, I uh, didn't go to the gym and get the workout in because I was sore. I was tired. I was stressed. Um, or, you know, I cheated on my meal plan and I had cereal or soda or cakes or cookies or whatever. And I'm like, why don't you just do it it's just not it's not that hard. just put the soda down, put the junk food down, and just do it and That was my mentality. I had a very black and white mentality, and so I had this idea of it just kind of came to my mind. It was a, like a light bulb moment where I'm like, "Hey, what if I do this? <laughs> it was crazy and ridiculous um mm. and I decided to run I decided to run with it so for six months. I decided to stop exercising, so that was the idea and I could eat whatever I wanted to. And I'm just sure today and I try to focus on mostly typical American foods, right? We've all seen Morgan's Burlock and Super Size Me. We all know fast yep. food is is unhealthy for us. What I want to do is focus on everyday American foods that we grew up on uh in the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, eating lots of highly processed, cheap, affordable, convenient foods that taste really, really good that are marketed to us, sometimes as healthy foods. Um, and so I focused on those foods for six months, ended up getting 75 pounds. And it was, and it was one of the most humbling things, one of the most hardest things I've ever done. And then the next six months is where I had to walk the walk and lose the weight. And that's why it's called Fit to Fat to Fit. So that's the, nut, that's the, the nutshell version of it.
1: <laughs> did you, did you uh, look at blood markers? Did you have periodic blood work done throughout the journey?
2: I did I did I had um a doctor monitor me on a monthly basis. I drew my blood, I had Dr Oz monitor my blood work um as well, and it was crazy how quickly your body can change um for thirty one years of my life, I was you know somewhat fit and healthy growing up um and and then in just six months time to see how quickly your health can decline when you live a sedentary lifestyle was really scary. It didn't matter how long I had been in shape for. Didn't matter how long I had been healthy for, in just six months of letting myself go, things got really scary really quickly.
1: What, what are some examples? Maybe some markers that like frightened you, and the doctor said, "Hey, you better watch out." Yeah, some of the numbers that that uh, pop out were my blood pressure got
2: up to one sixty-seven over one thirteen, and we all know that one twenty over eighty is normal. On average? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah one sixty-seven over one thirteen. <laughs> so that got really scary really quickly. Um, my, uh, my doctor also did a, um, what's it called? a sonogram of my liver and I developed a non-alcoholic fatty liver in just six months time. Um, I wasn't wow. drinking alcohol during, during this experiment. It was mostly just soda and these processed carbs, but the same type of damage can be done to your, your organs, like your liver in a short period of time by eating these foods and living a sedentary lifestyle. My testosterone dropped to the low 200s, which if you're a 31-year-old male and you have low testosterone, that's not fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it wasn't fun to go through that. But people don't realize how food affects them at the cellular level more so than just weight loss, right? It affects their hormones, right? It affects their sleep. And so it's this vicious cycle that, that people go down when they live a sedentary lifestyle eating these processed foods. And so, yes, I gained a ton of weight, a ton of fat. But that's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing was how quickly my health declined. Um, I wish I had all my numbers in front of me. But, yeah, everything was in the red from, you know, my HDL, LDL, triglycerides, uh, uh, glucose levels. They were all in the red really quickly after eating this way for just even a couple months.
1: Yeah, that's insane. Wow. What about, so you, you know, mentally and emotionally, that's your focus lately. What what was that like? Forget about the weight. And yeah, all this so, stuff. Like, What did you feel like? <laughs> that was the biggest
2: lessons on the mental and emotional side because I was prepared to, you know, get some man boobs and a big gut. Uh, I wasn't prepared for how it was going to affect me emotionally. Um, so here, here here's the thing. You got to understand my identity growing up in shape my whole life was based on what my body looks like. And so for the first time in my life, being overweight, I was super self-conscious. Being out in public, I wanted to tell strangers, hey, this isn't really what it looked like. Here's my before picture. Go to this website. This is just an experiment. I don't really look this way. I wanted to tell people that I'm not this overweight person because I was so used to being the fit, you know, confident person out in public um, that it, it totally messed with my self-esteem, my confidence levels. I was married at the time, and you know, I remember wanting to cover up in front of my wife uh, at the time, and and not. I didn't want her to see me naked. I didn't want to see myself naked. Um, it it started to affect me. I remember a couple of times, a couple of quick stories. One is my daughter was two at the time and she wanted to play with me when I got home from work. Um, I actually had a full-time job in the medical field at this time as I was doing this. (laughs) A lot of people don't know that, but I came home from work one day, just exhausted, tired, run down. And my daughter wanted me to play with her. So I played with her for a little bit and it was mostly running around the house where I would chase her. (laughs) And after a couple of minutes, I was out of breath. Chafing became an issue, which was super uncomfortable, and I told her, like, hey, daddy needs to take a break. I can't. She was trying to pull me off the couch. No, daddy, chase me, chase me. And um, I told her no, and to see her her eyes tear up, and she started crying. She didn't understand why I was doing this, but it broke my heart because it made me realize in that moment that, you know, how bad it must suck for for parents or grandparents that can't play with their kids or their grandkids, not so much because of their weight, but because of their health and how – how much that must hurt them, you know? And so it really started to affect me on the mental and emotional level. This journey was way more than I bargained for. It was way harder than I ever imagined. And so those were some of the lessons that I learned on the mental and emotional side as I was gaining weight and realizing, wow, this is so much more of a mental and emotional journey. That's what my book, Fit to Fat to Fit, goes into. And I think that's why it became a popular New York Times bestseller um, was because of the, the mental and emotional side.
1: Yeah, I've always been heavy, and I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just, you know, telling you what I experienced. Like, you know, and I'm from New York, and people would straight up, and they would say, hey, you fat bastard, and, you know, kind of a term <laughs> of endearment, but they would still say yeah. it. And even today, people say, oh, hey, big guy, or what's up, big man? And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to hear that stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So what about um the second half, once you started, uh, once you plateaued, and then you started going down, what was the emotional part of that like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was
2: uh, another great lesson that I learned. So the first, so here's the thing: I had six months to lose seventy five pounds, and so I had to kind of go cold turkey. I couldn't ease my way into it, you know. I had to just one day cut it out. And and I remember those first two weeks eating healthy food. Part of me was excited. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna lose this weight. I'm gonna get back to fit in no time. And those first two weeks that I went through of transitioning back to a healthy lifestyle were literally hell. Like it sucked so bad because my body was going through withdrawal symptoms of wanting that food that I had had every single day for six months. And now I'm saying, nope, no more Cinnamon Toast Crunch, no more Mountain Dew. Now you're going to have spinach shakes and broccoli and chicken and, and you know, healthy food. Um, and my body kind of fought back as if I was almost getting off of drugs, right? Like I felt these withdrawal symptoms of feeling miserable, grumpy, headaches, moody, um, tired. The food didn't taste nearly as good as I remembered it. And I, it clicked for me remembering this is what my clients must have experienced something similar when I would give them a meal plan and I expected them to be perfect with it. And I didn't realize the how powerful the emotional attachment to food really is. And this was such a humbling part of the journey for those first two weeks of, of just feeling miserable. And here I was eating all the healthy food I knew I was supposed to eat. And, um it just it just opened my eyes to how powerful the emotional attachment to food really is and it, it is kind of like getting off of a drug um and so it was really eye-opening for me to go through that very humbling um you know the journey back to fit getting back to fit you know it, it sounds so easy if you look at the pictures you know or it looks easy if you look at the pictures of me just boom losing the weight and then I got back to fit but I kind of compare it to being on top of this mountain my whole life right as a trainer a coach being fit. And then my clients are at the bottom of the mountain and from the top, it looks so easy. Like, Oh, there's the path. You just follow it one step at a time. It doesn't seem so hard. Right. Cause I've always been at the top. Now for the first time in my life, I was at the bottom and that journey up was so much harder than I ever imagined it would be. Uh, Um it's very humbling to have to do pushups on my knees. Um, you know, struggling to do one pull up, (laughs) you know, and, and having to work out again and feeling sore and tired and, um, Uh, It it was a very humbling experience in the end to get back to fit. I knew that I had to do it though, because people were watching me, right? Which kept me accountable, but my eyes were open. And I realized how much of this is is a mental and emotional journey for people as they make that climb up the mountain um, versus, Hey, just physically push yourself and, and do the work that you know you're supposed to do no excuses. The, the, the journey is so much more emotional than people think. And that's the problem that we have in the fitness industry is the lack of empathy for people that are struggling. We think, "Hey, eat less and work out. What's wrong with you? It we know what to do, but it's just the application of it that's so hard for people to stay consistent with because they've been living a certain way their whole life and they want instant results, um, you know, with a magic pill or just 2 months of staying consistent thinking I should have a six-pack by now. <laughs> and that's where people give up and they go back to their old ways and it's it's frustrating for people and this is what I experienced. And I'm not going to say my journey was exactly the same as someone who grew up their entire life out of shape. Right. I don't know what it's like for for you or for anybody that's that's grown or that's been overweight. My journey is different. Right. I was only overweight for six months, but it gave me a small uh, window of understanding of just how hard it can be. And that was enough for me to change my ways and the way I approach helping people th- uh, today.
1: Well, how how close were you to giving up? when you had to make the journey back to fit and, um, you know, did it get easier after the first two weeks and it was smooth sailing or was the whole thing just a slog?
2: Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great question. Um, it did become easier after the two weeks and that's what I try and tell people is like, if you just stay consistent with it, your body adjusts and it does get easier. Um, at first it could, any kind of big change in your life is going to be really, really hard. Um, and that goes from a physical perspective to financial perspective to mental, emotional, spiritual, right? Um, it's going to be hard at first. Um, but it did get easier um, for me. But you know, there were times where I did want to uh, quit or give up. There was moments where I didn't want to go to the gym because it was cold outside and I was tired and exhausted. And I'm like, you know what? No one's really going to know if I just hide this. Or uh, but the the accountability from here's the thing, here's the reason that I kept going and pushed through it was because there was thousands of people from all across the world doing this journey with me, and that's the way I set it up. When I lost the weight. I announced on social media, my website, YouTube, saying, hey, guys, I have 75 pounds to lose in six months. Here's how I'm going to do it. If you want to follow me for free,
0: you can see... What if you could learn about the ketogenic diet and metabolic therapy from the world's top scientists, physicians, and influencers, in a four-day experience co-hosted by Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who's been on the Tim Ferriss podcast in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. If you want to hear about the latest scientific evidence on nutrition and metabolism and its potential to treat disease, increase longevity, improve athletic performance, and yes, help with weight loss, Metabolic Health Summit is for you. Some of the speakers include Dominic D'Agostino, Ph.D., Mark Sisson, Suzanne Ryan of Keto Karma, Thomas Seyfried, uh, who studies metabolism and cancer, Aubrey Marcus, Georgia Ede M.D., Matt and Mega of Keto Connect and many, many more speakers. At this conference, we're going to dive into the research and learn how to apply it during real-world applications with four days of presentations. There'll be nightly receptions with keto-friendly drinks and appetizers. There'll be a scientific poster session that includes the latest research on ketosis, human optimization, and more. And there'll be new innovative products at the Metabolic Health Summit Keto Expo you'll get to network with some of the world's most brilliant minds at the Metabolic Health Summit VIP Mixer and Gala Dinner. For physicians, this activity is jointly provided by Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and the Metabolic Health Initiative. Cedar sinai is accredited by ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. Earn up to 21.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits by attending. If you're a registered dietitian, This event has received prior approval by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics for 18 CPEs. Visit MetabolicHealthSummit.com or click on the banner and get your tickets before they're gone because it's coming soon. Remember, it's in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. We are only weeks away. This is a must not miss seminar. Exactly what I do every single day for six months to see how I do it, to show you that I'm not
2: starving myself. I'm not working out three times a day. It's not some kind of you know crazy uh, uh, routine that I have that is unsustainable for your average person. I wanted to show people that this was a lifestyle change. And so knowing that there were people emailing me every day like, Drew, uh, I love the meal plans today. I love the workouts. Let's get after it today. I knew there was people counting on me. And if they could do it, I could do it too.
1: How many people actually did it with you and lost weight or did there's just watch?
2: Oh man, I don't, there's, I don't think there's any way to count, but after it was over, after I lost the weight, um, hundreds of emails with transformation stories and, and, uh, thank you notes on social media. It's hard to know exactly how many people did it with me. Um, but there is, there was a ton of people, uh, from all over the world and that's what kept me going, uh, and seeing their transformations at the end of it was worth it because these people weren't overweight for just six months, right? This wasn't just a little experiment they were doing. This was, something that that they did, um, and they were probably more applicable or more relatable to your average person out there than me and my journey, but it was me doing this that, that I guess, started the motivation or the inspiration to make that change, and so uh, that's what was inspiring to me, and that's what
1: kept me going. How much harder do you think it would be for someone that's been overweight for 10 or 20 years to make the journey to fit? Is it about the same or much harder or no?
2: No, it's going to be way harder, right? From a mental, emotional perspective. Let's say someone grew up their entire life out of shape. They never once learned about healthy versus non-healthy foods. They just ate the food that was in front of them. They didn't really care about what they looked like and exercise and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, after 30, 40 years of that, they're like, okay, I'm going to make a change. New Year, starting January 1st. I'm going to do this with Drew. And, uh, you know, I'm never eating sugar again. I'm never touching soda again. The emotional battle that goes on Uh, That people try and willpower their way through these types of lifestyle changes, and so it would be way harder for someone that you know had never exercised a day in their life compared to me. So I want to make sure people understand that is each person's individual journey is individual, and it it can't be compared to mine or someone else's because no one has had those experiences that that single person has had, and so of course it's going to be a lot harder. One, you know, the the knowledge, the discipline, the muscle memory. For me, I had all of that, right? And so, for me, my journey was, was would be a lot easier than someone that, you know, had never worked out a day in their life.
1: Yeah, and you also did this at the age of 31, right?
2: Yeah, 31 versus 51 or 61. Although I did one of my most amazing transformations was a 60 year old lady from Idaho, um, a widow that um, lost over 100 pounds in doing my program. Um, And I remember she would email me every single day, (laughs) send her progress pictures. Uh, It was remarkable. And to see a woman in her 60s lose over 100 pounds following my journey was was remarkable and so inspiring. And that's what I'm saying. is like, you know, each person's journey is individual. If someone like that can do it, of course, maybe like a 40-year-old man could do it. Um, But you can't compare yourself to other people because then you – um, that's where you kind of get in trouble because you think, oh, either I'm a failure compared to this person or, you know, if you compare yourself to someone that's in a worse position you're like, ah, at least I'm better than that person, you know? And so you kind of just
1: get stuck and stay where you are if you keep comparing yourself to to other people. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just trying to provide a context, but you know, you were 31, yeah. relatively young. You had only been overweight for a very short period of time. And like you said, you had, you know, the muscle memory, et cetera. Uh, yeah. It still took you six months. What do you? What's your guess? How long have you observed? Let's say someone's like fifty-two. I don't know, and they've been overweight for twenty, thirty years, and they want to lose, you know, a lot, seventy, eighty pounds. Do you think it's reasonable? <coughs> they it would take them a year, or even two years, or is six months—a uh, pretty good
2: benchmark <coughs> for people. Six months is a good enough time to see, you know, results. Um, some good, decent results if you stay consistent with it. <coughs> your body is really resilient and it can heal itself but the problem is our perception of this is i want to lose x amount of weight in this amount of time when in reality it's not just about weight loss we think the goal the end-all be-all is just hey to lose weight and then you're healthier then you're done and you can relax a little bit when in reality your body is still changing on the inside even though you might not see that number on the scale go down so our perception of of what success looks like i think needs to change based, um, it's more than just weight loss or the scale weight. And so I want people listening to understand that is, you know, whether you lose weight or not, it's not the most important thing. The the goal really is fat loss, not weight loss. And so changing your body composition, you know, reducing your body fat percentage, maintaining or building lean muscle mass is going to take some time, right? Most people spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years gaining this weight slowly, right? Not in six months, I kind of did it in a shortened window. And it's not going to be able to change the way you want it to with just inconsistent for you know, three to six months. You will still still see good results depending on how hard you push yourself and how extreme you want to be. But is that sustainable? Right. That's the question you got to ask yourself. Can I sustain this as a lifestyle change for the rest of my life? Or is this like a six-month sprint where I'm going to run out of gas and have to stop and go back to my old ways and then maybe gain some weight back and then try and do that again? I think that's what most people try and do versus, hey, I'm going to focus on the process and then let the results take care of themselves over time.
1: Yeah, Why why is that? You know, for you, once you got back to being fit, was it like a fever breaking and you were fine from there? Or were you still compelled to, you know, to try to break it? I mean, and why are people that would spend six months and do all the right things, why would they fall back then?
2: Yeah, because like I said, a lot of it has to do with identity, right? Right. Um, you know, a lot of people on Biggest Loser or these TV shows that lose a ton of weight in a short period of time, <clears throat> you know, people are shocked at the percentage of them that <clears> that gain it back. I think it's over 90 percent because even though they lose all the weight and they had all that help, once the accountability is gone and the TV show and the fame and the lights and, and people watching them are gone, a lot of them mentally haven't made that mental shift yet of changing their identity. And they still see themselves as an overweight person, even though they even though they there's so much more than that. And so a lot of times we focus too much on the results versus, hey, what's the process that I can maintain that gives me a, a happy balance of, you know, eating healthy, exercising, but not overdoing it and too extreme to where, you know, I, after six months of trying really hard, I, I give up because it's it's too much effort and it's not sustainable to live that lifestyle, right? Like on Biggest Loser, they, I think, was it 16 weeks or something, or six to eight weeks on a on a boot camp type of uh, camp where they go to, and that's all they do is starve themselves and do six to eight hours of cardio per day. <laughs> that's not sustainable when they get back to the real world. So a lot of it has to do with uh, their their mental shift never changing, right? Um, and changing their environment when they get back home um, versus just trying to willpower their way through it once they get back home. So each part, I wish there was an easy answer to this and saying, hey everyone, everyone's problem is the same. It's so individual, right? A lot of our emotional attachment to food or, or these, these old lifestyles uh, have to do with maybe some type of trauma, right? Um, Psychological issues. uh, A lot of it stems back to that. And so it's really, you know, something that people have to dig deep on and, and look towards, uh, look, look towards the outside to find help, right? Uh, Whether that's a therapist or a psychologist to help them deal with these deep-seated emotional issues. And I, th- I think people want it to be easy. They don't want it to be deep. They don't want to have to do that work. They just want to be like, hey, what's the magic pill? What's the easiest way to lose the most amount of weight in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of effort?
1: Well, what are? how many outliers are there? People that will start and stall, people that will, it just won't work seemingly. Maybe they're sabotaging it somehow, like, you know, how often does this work, how often does it not work, and why? How often does that happen? Is that what yeah, how often do you see, like, you know, your program, for instance, or other programs, you know, um, work or not work, and
2: why? <clears throat> I don't think, in my opinion, <clears throat> you know, I don't think, like, my program is better than anybody else's program, and vice versa, because it, different things work for different people, right? And some people, for example, love keto, and some people love veganism. It just depends on what works best for them. And so for me, it's more so the perception of the program. (laughs) And um, like I said, I think a lot of it has to do with these deep-seated issues of why do I struggle to stay consistent eating healthy? Why do I keep giving into this piece of cake uh, when I come home from work and I'm stressed out, right? It's it's finding a way to change people's perception of what health and fitness needs to be. I think a lot of people, the majority of Americans, right, because we have an obesity epidemic. So I would say the large majority of people struggle with this, right? Um, and I kind of said said this in the beginning. I could give them the best meal plans, <clears throat> the best program to follow, but unless they know how to overcome their mental and emotional challenges, nothing's going to change, right? They could do it for 30, 60, 90 days, but then go back to their old ways unless they they have a, a huge mental shift of figuring out why they struggle, um, letting go of certain foods, and sabotaging themselves, and letting people, um, uh, letting what other people think affect their decisions, and so. I mean, it, this is why I'm trying to bring more uh, awareness and more empathy to the fitness industry to help people realize that we can have the best science and the best data and all the knowledge in the world. But unless someone knows that they feel cared about on their journey, I don't think it's going to stick with them. And I love this quote. And this is something I live by is, is you know, nobody cares how much, you know, unless uh, until they know how much you care. And this is perfect for any other trainer or coach or doctor. Um, some of that is out there influencing people's lives uh, or trying to at least and I think that's really really important. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of knowledge for most people. Um yeah. and it's not a lack it's not a lack of willpower either. Um it's it's helping people I think feel carried about and having some kind of empathy in this in this uh in their situation to help them believe that they can do this, that they're worth it to make this change for the long term, not just for thirty or ninety days. I'm talking about for the long-term, for the rest of their life. And uh, a lot of it has to do with self-worth.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Well, what did this do to your relationship with your clients? Did you, did you put them on hold during this period? And you know, what happened before and after? Like, Do they listen to you more now? Or, or what do you say differently to them?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I really don't coach people one-on-one anymore. Ever since this took off, it kind of changed my dynamic of what I did as a personal trainer. Uh, now my goal is to obviously try and impact the masses. Um, with social media presence and putting out programs, digital content, um, uh, having private Facebook groups, things like that. Um, the way it's changed me is, yes, I still provide people with the physical tools they need to um, transform their health, right? So obviously keto meal plans and recipes and cookbooks. Um, but I try and help them more so on the mental and emotional side. And that's why I have these accountability support groups, You know, either through Facebook or um, <clears throat> through o- other private platforms, where like-minded people can come together with one uh, goal in mind to help each other out on this journey. And you see people from all over the world that have never met support each other, give each other um, uh, the help and the love uh, and encouragement that they need to make these changes. And uh, that way they're not doing this alone. I think and when people try mm-hmm. and willpower their way through this by themselves, it's 100 times harder, right? <laughs> because all those those negative self uh those negative self-talk and those self-limiting beliefs keep coming up over and over and over again. And by themselves, they don't know how to overcome them. And so that's why if you have a um, like-minded people come together uh, in these private support groups, it's so much more powerful. And that's what people really need is, um, is coach accountability, uh, support system, love and empathy and respect on their journey, rather than just, Hey, eat less and work out, follow this meal plan that's going to magically change
1: you. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So what, um, you said you've gone into keto eating, and you have some resources in that regard. What's so? What's your? Um, what do things look like now for you, and where are you headed over the next six months or a year? How is your program changing, or how is uh, <clears throat> the content you're going to put out going to change? Yeah, great question. So I'm
2: actually this is actually perfect timing for this podcast, depending on when it releases. Um, I finally wrote my second book. Um, my first book was Fit to, Fit to Fit back in 2012. My second book is called Complete Keto. And it's now available for pre-order uh, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can just go to completeketofit to fat 2 fitcom to uh, pre-order. Right now I'm giving away a ton of incentives for, for people that pre-order the book. Um, but okay. Complete Keto, my book, what it is in a nutshell is all the data that I've collected and all the uh, scientists and doctors that I've had on my podcast that I've interviewed, I've compiled all the latest and greatest keto uh, research that's out there. But then I also take all the lessons I learned from Fit to Fat to Fit and apply it in this book. So, yes, I give you tools on the physical side of keto, right, what it is, how to do it. It's a 30-day program uh, with meal plans, detailed meal plans and recipes and workouts and things like that. But I also provide tools and help on the mental, emotional, spiritual side because, well, I see this all the time in this industry. People focus on just the physical Side of transformation. Hey, losing weight, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to bring that's going to bring them happiness in this life. When in reality, it it doesn't lead to happiness. Just like we all know that having a ton of money, we think, hey, that's going to make me happy. If I have the perfect body, that's going to make me happy. And People will like me more. I'll like myself more. But that's just a lie. That's a myth. That's not true. And so I'm trying to help people on the mental, emotional, spiritual side as much as I am on the physical side in this book, Complete Keto. And so it kind of ties all those things in together. Um, and so that's my goal with with this new book, Complete Keto. Which launches on February twelfth, two thousand nineteen. By the way.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's coming real soon. Yeah, I noticed. Um, you know, I've been able to lose a bunch of weight, but <clears throat> still have a bunch more. But uh, I feel a lot better. You know, I've been getting uh, doing keto esque eating so close to yes. it, but <laughs> but it's worked a lot. But what I noticed in the emotional side, which I think you may find useful, is that if I don't feel good, then you know I'm not a very nice husband, and I'm not as good a father <laughs> to my kids, and. You know, I may annoy the people I work with and all that. And the better you feel, the better all your relationships will be because you affect everyone around you. And I think that's one thing yeah. that, you know, very few people talk about with, uh, with being in better health.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great advice
2: right there for anyone listening. And I think, um, you know, it's so much more than just the weight loss journey. And it, it's cool that you're, you're definitely realizing that. You're a you're better you when you take care of your physical health, but also mental, emotional, spiritual health as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, very good. Well, Drew, this is awesome. And uh, I encourage people to come to the Metabolic Health Summit to hear you speak and maybe shake your hand. And then uh, you said your new book's coming, you know, middle of February, uh, complete keto. <clears throat> so, and uh, what other resources do you have for people that want to find out more about what you do?
2: Yeah, just go to fit2fat2fit.com, which is my main website and all my... Keto programs are on there as well. Um, you know, keto dot uh, yeah to fat to fit is also my my online digital sixty uh, day keto program that's been downloaded over two hundred thousand times now, and so <clears throat> that's a that's another resource for people if they want that they don't want to wait for the book. Uh, it's, a, it's a it's an older program, still good, still works. Like I said, it's it's been downloaded by hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> But my new book coming out February 12th is like the latest and greatest plus uh, more help on the mental emotional side as well.
0: That's great. Well, Drew, I really appreciate you coming. Thanks so much.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues